page 180, Parshas Truma. As we said last week, it's in memory of Jared Ochen, this class. To this week's Parsha is about building the sanctuary, building a temple for God. That's what God spoke to Moses. Build me a temple that will start to read from inside and then we'll get into the discussion as we do usually. usually. God spoke to Moshe saying, speak to the children of Israel and have them dedicate to me a contribution. Take my offering from every person whose heart inspires him to generosity. Okay, that God says, let's do a fundraiser. Take, take an offering from every Jew that his heart inspires for generosity. Up to you, it's up to you how much you want to donate and how much you want to give to God, to the temple. And that's how the temple was built. And actually, when, Mo when Moses told to be, uh, came down, we're going to read in a few parishes later, to build the temple, and he asked from the Jewish people to bring donations, we read amazing enthusiasm about the donations. Who began it? On page 263. Huh? On page 263, number 21, we read how they actually brought the, the donations. Every person whose heart inspired him came and everyone... You see, the same word is how inspired them. Here he says the people that out inspired them should give a donation. Here the Torah tells us what happened to every, every person who out inspired them, actually inspired them, brought this. The same language. Go ahead. And everyone whose generous spirit inspired him brought the contribution for God, for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its necessities, and for all the holy garments. Continue. The men came together with the woman next to them. The really the men, the women mm. pushed the men to run to give no, the donations. No, we know. <laughs> now every day it's the same story. The women. Okay. Now, oh, now if you see, if you see, if you see in page two sixty six, two sixty seven. I'm sorry. It was such, so much donations. Read uh, uh, these contributions are comp uh, compelled and construction began. Read this. All, all, the, all the wise uh, men. Oh. All the wise men that were doing the work of the holy sanctuary came. Each one of them left the work which he had been doing. They spoke to Moshe saying, The people are bringing a lot, much more than is needed to do the work which God has commanded us to do. The Jews bought so much. It was too much. I don't know why they thought it's too much. You can always put an endowment fund. I mean, what do you mean too much? But at that have time, you, there was no bank. You've never told that anybody. We never. That's why, you know, who can say, who can, say uh, who, who, who can get a lot of donations, somebody who can say enough. But in today's world, there's never enough. Go ahead. Moshe issued a command, and they had an announcement made in the camp saying, no man or woman should do any more work for donations to the Holy Sanctuary. And the people stopped bringing the, the work okay then what you see the amazing thing God said it's a be, it's be based on donations everybody should give as much as is out inspired people were running to give to a point the leaders of every tribe the Nesim well they said we'll let the Jews give the donations and we will wait and whatever is missing we will write the check for the rest of the money what happened Nothing getting, nothing, and nothing getting happened to donate anymore. They were lucky enough. Was one thing that nobody had. They were the, the stones. stones for the breastplate, and that this they donated. That happened by building the temple. I've got a question. Yeah, go ahead. They've got all this wealth, but they have no. I mean, they, I mean, it, I mean, it might as well be a shiny stone you find on the beach or something. Because it had no value. You weren't going to the, you know, to the restaurants. And you you had the mana going, coming down. You had mana. I mean, you had all your... These people lived in the desert, and they died in the desert, and they would never have spent that money in the first place. No. It has were, no value to them in some really, sense. Really, really, really. No, I don't know. Maybe you tell me. They were close to inhabited lands. They were in the desert. But yeah. they could go out to the neighboring 
cities and, and buy outs. everything. They can oh. get carryouts and uh, bring it home to you. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't need <laughs> only DVD one. And, uh, <laughs> when they complained that they don't have meat, it yeah. was a complaint for the sake of complaining. Dead cows, okay. dead cattle, they could slaughter them, they could eat it. It wasn't like they were in me 500 miles away from a, from, a, from a normal place. They could go and buy whatever they need. Some were more busy with that, some were less busy with that. But they had the money had value, absolutely. Some people had more gold, some people had less gold, some people were richer, some people were poorer, even then. So they still had commerce in the desert? Yes, not much, but they had commerce, yes. You're right, they had the basic needs the government provided them. Bread, water, but if you want to be richer, you want more, more luxuries, it's up to you. Now, this is the story of the building of the, temp of the sanctuary in the desert. We look in the Torah of this week, on page 305. We read about the building. Who built the first temple? Solomon. Solomon built the first temple. And that's the Torah that we're reading for Pasha Struma. Um, Dr. Kos, if you want to read the beginning of the Torah. Sure. God gave Shlomo wisdom as he had promised him. This brought about peace between Hiram and Shlomo, and the two made a covenant together. The king Shlomo raised a levy from all Israel. That he is raised a levy from all Israel. You know there is the levies you, you vote for? The school levy, that levy, that levy? Taxes. Mm -hmm. He was, what means to get to make a tax to force people to pay for the temple. But I thought the King David had prepared, I mean, he wanted to do it. He had things all laid out and kind of ready to go. He just couldn't actually. It's a good point. But first of all, we'll get to it in a minute. But here we read clear that he had a levy, not only a levy, he collected people. Look what the levy is. Continue to read a levy. Go ahead. From all Israel, that able-bodied men should cut timber in collaboration with Hiram's workers. The levy was 30,000 men. 30,000 men. People were mobilized, like going to the army to build the temple. And they were going to, it was uh, 80,000 days. And the, the whole nation was forced to build the temple. It was not an option. What's this Hiram? Who's this Hiram, Hiram is, the, is the king of... Uh, in Lebanon, I think. So, but they were helping. Yeah, from there they bought everything. Yeah. The the weed there, in the, the 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 special wood that was that was in uh, from from no what the the acacia trees the acacia wood. wood not the acacia wood it was a different type of wood cedar 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 trees cedar. exactly very good from Lebanon yeah. Then here you see look here is the huge difference between between uh, there is more. Here we see the difference in the, the building that Moses built and the building that Solomon built. Moses built based on donation. Solomon built it based on a levy. Text, to text people, his people. That explains something very unusual. Solomon built a temple, a huge temple, beautiful, magnificent. Solomon died, his son became the king. What was his son's name? Rehavon. Rehavon, I think in English. Rehavon built a temple, I mean, became king, and right in the beginning of his kingdom, what happened? The kingdom of Israel divided into two kingdoms. Two tribes remained with Solomon's son. Ten tribes disconnected themselves from Solomon, broke off from their kingdom, and built the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Ephraim. The 10 tribes, the 10 lost tribes, this is the 10 lost tribes, that's how it started. 10 tribes, in a split, in an instant, gave up on the temple. How could 10 tribes of the Jewish people give up on the temple? What happened there? It wasn't theirs. They were forced to work for it. It wasn't an inspiration. It wasn't something they wanted to do. It wasn't something they were excited to do. They had no emotions for this temple. 
by Moses that Moses' temple in many versions survived for close to 500 years. Why? Because it was inspired to do. That when you do something because you want to do, you feel a part of it, you feel connected. You want to give the donations. By King Solomon, he might build a beautiful <coughs> building. Moses built a tent. After all, Moses' tent was not so amazing. It's a tent. It's a portable building. How beautiful can be a portable building? Solomon building was a huge, tall, magnificence. But nobody, nobody was excited about it. How much God was there? And how much God was in this little... God is in the little temple where there is love and excitement. Not necessarily in the big building, there is no love there. There is was forced to build. And that's a very important contrast between the Parsha and the Aftorah. Right here. Okay, now we'll continue to read in the text on page 181. Uh, we are number three. These are the types of contributions that you shall collect from them. Gold, silver, and copper. Turquoise. Gold, silver, and copper. How do you say gold in Hebrew? Zahav. Zahav. Very good. Zahav. Zahav, I saw a gold. Zahav, yeah, but Zahav is, is, the, is the name for gold. <coughs> then silver. <coughs> silver is Kesef. Kesef. Kesef is silver. Copper. Nechoshet. Now there is an interesting interpretation to this tree. This tree, gold, silver, and copper, are represented by three types of, of donors, three types of charity givers. There are the gold givers, the gold card holders, the silver card holders, and the copper. The gold card holders stands for the word Ze, Zahav stands for Ze Anotembari. This giver is a healthy one. He gives it out, he's healthy, he's happy, and he gives charity. Kesef stands for the word Kesheroe Sakana Pode. When he sees a, a, a dangerous thing coming up to him, he decides to give charity quick before something bad happens to him. Nechoshet stands for Netinat Cholesh Amartnu, a sick man who lays in bed that tells his son, give the synagogue a donation. He's already, he doesn't have the strength even to do it. Then there are three levels of givers that we always want to be the gold card holders. That's always on the better, on the better side. Then that's the three levels of, the, of donations that were asked. Continue. Then there is many other types. Go ahead. Turquoise, purple, and crimson wool. Linen and goat hair. Ram skins, dyed bread, multicolored, tackish skins, and acacia wood. Oil for the eternal lamp, spices for the anointing oil, and for the incense fumes. Okay, acacia wood. Where did they get the acacia wood? Oh, they took that from Egypt. Then let's see what Rashi says. It should be somewhere here. Um, they brought it from... Uh, Yaakov's acacia plantation? Where did they obtain Yeah, we are going to read on page 181, the first, yeah, the first classic question. Where did they obtain... Go ahead. Where did they obtain acacia wood in the desert? Rabbi mm. Tachma explained that Yaakov Avinu saw prophet, prophetically that the Jewish people were destined to build a tabernacle in the desert. So he brought acacia trees to Egypt and planted them. He commanded his children to take the trees with them when they left Egypt. An amazing thought. The Torah is asking where they got the matter is like, where they got acacia wood. For the first of all, they could get from other places. But what he said, what the message says is something amazing. Jacob, when he left Israel to go to Egypt to see Joseph, he took with him acacia wood, at least uh, planting, plants for acacia wood. And he replanted them in Egypt. For what purpose? That one day they will go out from Egypt and they will build with this the temple. Now, if I would be Jacob, I would give them money and tell them, wherever you go, you can find acacia wood. They will not fall from inhabitant plants. Who needs acacia wood to schlep from the desert, from Egypt to schlep on your shoulder, acacia wood? You can, you can schlep gold and silver. Why you be busy with acacia wood? The Rebbe explained once, Jacob did it not because he was afraid the Jews would be short of acacia wood. He wanted to show the Jewish people how sure is he 
that one day the Jews will leave Egypt. Then when he came to Egypt, he already planted the, build, planted the building of the temple. Plant, he planted in the herd acacia wood, trees, acacia trees, and every child who saw the trees in the backyard of Jacob asked, what is this? Oh, our father, our grandfather, our great-grandfather great Jacob built, he built, he planted the trees because he knows that one day we'll go to, we are going to go and get out of Egypt. You can imagine 108 years in Egypt okay. where the Jews are where the Jews are suffering and babies are throwing into the river and the Jewish people are slaves. And a child tells his father, we will never get out of here. We, 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 who told you that we will, will one day come out? Like people say, oh, Moshe, who come? Yeah, it's a nice story. Then he used to come and take him to the, to the backyard of Jacob. Jacob used to live 100 years before, 150 years before, 200 years before. And tell him, you see this, these trees? This is a great great grandfather Jacob planted because he knew he was so sure that one day he would get out of Egypt. That was the only tangible thing hope. <laughs> that he can touch of hope. Not just a story, not just something, something real. Here is the wood. There was another thing that gave them hope. What was the other thing? That one day they'll get out of Egypt. Joseph's. Uh... Joseph's coffin. Joseph told them, bury me, keep me here, he said, and when you will one day, when God will take you out from Egypt, take me out with you. He was so sure that one day the Jews will get out of Egypt, that he was ready to be buried in Egypt because he knew for sure they will get out. But Joseph's coffin was not, everybody can see it, it was buried somewhere in the river, whatever it was, it was buried. It was not of a, you couldn't see it. The physical thing that you could see was the acacia wood. And that gave them strength and hope in times of, of misery. So then when they had to get out quickly, they had to go have people go cut down the trees and load it up? Or take seeds. And, yes. No. Cut up the trees. Because they didn't replant it in the desert. They took, carried it with them. Yes, yes, yes. Then most of the Jews were busy with collecting gold and silver from the neighbors. Some, Moses was busy with carrying a, a, a Joseph's coffin, and the Hasidic Jews were busy with the, with the wood, with the acacia wood. And there was, you know, who is Hasidic? He does that. The people said, I have to worry about my family, my suitcases, and this. And then what the Jews were worried about other things. But Hashem wanted us to take the gold. I know. I know. But everyone has a different time. But the question is what you are worried about. You worried about rebuilding the temple or you worried about your own gold and silver? Listen, the people took gold and silver also said, we'll have gold and silver, we'll have what to donate to the temple. I have a question well, about But this. who you think was more, cared more for the, who was more dedicated, the people who slept the wood or the people who, who the collected the I said witch lepers. The wood. <laughs> yeah, it's all, everybody says, but God told me to do it. You know, as we said, we spoke many times, the decisions in the world of good are much more complicated than the decisions between good and bad. The choices between good and bad are much more clear, much easier to decide. I don't want to do it necessarily, but I know, everybody knows. We know what's good and what's bad. Every child knows what's the difference. Nobody makes it, oh, I thought it's a good deed. Nobody will tell you that, that doing bad to somebody is a good deed. He might not want to do it. He might be lazy. Might, whatever it is. In the world of good, should I schlep acacia wood or I should take the gold and silver? God has said so. Yeah, you're right. Both. He cannot do both. You have to make decisions there too. Wow. That's right? a that's a, you cannot a dance on all weddings. You cannot dance on all weddings. In the world of good also, we have to make decisions. I know the people like, for God, it's called in Yiddish, uh, for God and for men. Oh, is it good for everybody? It doesn't work like this. Eventually, you have to make a decision. You cannot be everywhere Yom Kippur. You're in college taking the test, or you're in the shul davening. You cannot be everywhere. And the same thing, that's within good and bad, but within the, within the world of good is also like this. That you dedicate your life for God's needs, 
or you take or you care for your own your own needs. And here it was a this is a perfect example. And every time it's like this, what you put what what you put first. And everyone can say, yeah, God, but God wants me also to do this, right? God wants for example, I mentioned many times. You get up in the morning, your wife tells you, let's go to synagogue. I said, no, I want to go to visit my mother in the old age home. A good deed and a good deed. How you know what's the right thing to do? Which wife tells you to do? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the question is, when the idea of going to visit your father or your mother in the old age home came to you, last night you planned to play, to play golf. <laughs> this morning when your wife tells you, let's go to the no, suddenly you are holy, he's going to visit his mother. Obviously, that comes from the evil side. If the choices between the good must be also one is a, the good, the right thing to do, and one, even if it's the good thing, is the wrong thing to do. That when you make choices, you think two good choices, there is also the, the, godly, the, the godly soul and the animal soul, the evil inclination and the good inclination. You understand? Then when the choices between going to you visit your mother is, is also coming from the evil inclination, even it's a good thing. In a regular day, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. But here, it's a way not to go to show. Collecting gold and silver from Egypt is a mitzvah. Acacia wood is not even a mitzvah. But what comes from the godly soul? What comes from the animal soul? You tell me. So, I have a question. So sometimes when you do something for God to actually stroke your ego versus something good to from a good something to do for another person, and okay. there's, things are complicated within that. So, you things know, are so complicated. To ignore yourself. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You know, man to God, man to man. I mean, there's. It's complicated. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. It's not so much about your ego. There is a story about a Hasidic Jew who was very good in repeating Hasidus. He was a good speaker. And used to go on the way, on the way back from visiting the Rebbe in Europe, in Russia, all the way to his town. He used to stop in every town and say Hasidus, what he heard from the Rebbe. And everybody, many people used to run to hear him and he told them, you're so good, you're amazing. Once he came to the Rebbe, he told him, you know, Rebbe, I, I say Hasidus, but you know, I get a bigger ego. I become arrogant. The whole purpose of learning Hasidus and to serve God is to become humble. And this gives me arrogant. The Rebbe told them, Hasidus you should teach. He said like this, it should become from you even an onion, but Hasidus you should teach. Basically, that's the whole explanation why onion, onion has many layers. The point is, doesn't make a we don't care for you. We care what's the outcome. The idea is I put myself in front of the benefit for the general Jewish people. And it's about others. It's me or others. That's a question. That, and sometimes, even if I get a big ego, it's not about, I don't care if somebody gets an ego. If the general public benefits from it, who cares? Let them have 10 egos. What do I have an humble man that nobody can benefit from, or from my big a guy with a big ego that the world benefits from? I'm not saying like a big ego, but you understand what I'm saying? I understand. Then the argument is not so much if it's me or it's if it's an ego or not. The question is, will more, will is God's agenda will benefit more? That's the question. Not will if I'm an ego, more ego, less ego. There is a story, a similar story about. A chassid, he came to, the, to the, one of the Chabad rabbis, the Rebbe Marash, and he told them, in my city, he said, every Saturday night, we give a good drink to, it was like kvass or med, whatever it was, like a Coca-Cola, the good stuff that it was at that time, liquor, whatever it was. And people come, and, and, they, and I teach them chassidus. Many people come. He told them, drinking in chassidus, how is this going together? Next, week, next time he came from the Rebbe, he said, from this week, no more. Anybody comes to the this? You can imagine what happened. The numbers went down every week. If it was 200, 150, 150, 30, he was left with very few righteous people. 
The next year he comes to visit the Rebbe again. The Rebbe asks him, no, how is the Hasidus going? I told him, Rebbe, I tell you the truth. You told me not to give the drink. I stopped serving the drink. Nobody's coming. The Rebbe smiled and told him, start to give the drink again as long as they learn Hasidus. It's sort of like the uh, going to the mikvah that was cold and the people stopped studying, right? You're right. In, in Sunday's paper, I, I just read somewhere in Florida, yeah, yeah, the Wall Street Journal. El- elegant uh, kiddishes. Kiddishes, where top of the line liquor, mm-hmm. uh, it costs thousands of dollars, and they're because the numbers at the shul was going down, and now mm-hmm. they're just going right up in the sky. Yeah, the liquor, I'm not so big, big fan of it, but the idea is that I, that's the same idea, yes. Right. Well, why do you think we have a kid every week? <laughs> it's a bribe. No, it's not. First of all, <laughs> nothing wrong with bribing. No, you don't. Bribing is okay. For the sake of goodness. So yeah, bribing is good. We are all bribed every day. We don't go to work for free. Exactly. Nothing wrong with it. Then this is a part of building a temple. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So we, bri- <laughs> so we have a bribe system in the uh, building of the temple. Absolutely. I was just going to say, like people that were righteous, like Abraham or Sarah, when they made their decisions of good or better, they were, <coughs> their, their decisions were always on the good side, weren't they? Yeah, but it was a challenge for them too. And the, and the easiest way to check if it's a good, it's not, it's not so easy. But the question is, one of the ways is to say, to think what's the benefit of the bigger, of the bigger, not so much about me, but who, where, where is, it's a hard decision. You have to be really honest with yourself to make the choice. And usually, you, if you had an instinct to do a good thing, then comes another thing to disturb you, you know that the first thing was the right thing. Because the other thing didn't come only after the first thing, only after your wife told you to go to shul, suddenly you remember to go to your mother. If you would really want to go to your mother, you have to plan on it the night before. That that how you know it's coming from the evil inclination? It only came a minute after somebody else to ask you to do good things. It's like somebody asked you to give a donation. Somebody once told me, uh, somebody asked you to give a donation. If I'll give, I'll give to my brother-in-law. <laughs> you didn't think about giving to your brother-in-law, right? Only when somebody else came to ask you for a donation, then you remember suddenly about your brother-in-law. And you end up, obviously, not to give to your brother-in-law either. That's another story. <laughs> That's how it goes. The Yitzhak what the evil inclination, what he's doing is, fish, first of all, he pushes off. Lay there. No, we don't say no. Lay there. Lay there, lay there. I don't have time. You're gone. That's a problem. We are on page 183, on top of the page. They should make a sanctuary dedicated to me, and I will dwell among them. And I will dwell among them. You should make... One second, one second, one second. I will dwell among them, not among, (laughs) inside the temple. I will dwell among them means among the Jewish people. When God is asking us, build me a temple. God is asking us not only to build a shen, to build them a temple in Jerusalem or in the desert. God is asking from us to build a temple wherever we go. In our home, our home should be a temple. Our office should be a temple for God. Our, our body should be a temple for, for God. Everything that we do should be a temple for God. What are you going to learn about? The first thing we learn is about the ark. What else was in the temple? Menorah. A menorah. Right? To light the, they light the menorah. What else was in the temple? The table. table. A table. And what else was in the temple? The altar. Altar. Ark, menorah, table, the, and the, altar. The, the table comes second, though, right? I believe. You're right. You're, You're right. You're right. Ark, table, menorah, altar. The ark is the Ten Commandments, right? The tablets, the Torah. What does this mean in my life? I should have books of Torah in my house. I should have a Bible. I walk into a Jewish home, people ask me, you have yeah, maybe a Bible, I want to show you something. A Bible available. A Bible, Boshet, a Chumash. A Bible in the house, a Seder. A few Jewish books, number one. Should have a shelf, one shelf of Jewish books, what's so bad? Not asking should I have as many as here, or in my house, one shelf. 
That's one thing. The table, what's the table? The, tables. the table represents kosher food. Mm-hmm. Having guests in the house, having a Friday night meal, having a table. Using the table, the table was the showbread, bread was an, used to replace, be replaced every Shabbos, we should have a Shabbos table. The menorah, what's the menorah represent? What today could be a mitzvah that reflects on the menorah? Shabbos candles. Shabbos candles. <coughs> Hanukkah candles. The Shabbos candles is a continuation of the candles that used to be in the temple. That by us lighting the candles, that's our menorah. And that's, then the altar, what's the altar? The altar is... Tzedakah. The altar is... Very good point. The altar is sacrifices. To sacrifice. Tzedakah is a good example. You sacrifice. You give you... How you sacrifice today? What was the altar? You put the fat of the animal on the altar. And you have to remember that it's your... That instead of your fat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. How we give away our fat today? When we... Money that we work for... We are completely engaged. The only place a person is engaged 150% is making a living. No else. Everything else is dreaming. He's a half here, half there. He watches a movie, he falls asleep. He never falls asleep when he's in the middle of a business deal. Never. You are better on the numbers. You are right there. <clears throat> when, you, when you do a surgery, when you do something, you are right all the way there. Then the money that you make from making a living is all of you. All of you is invested in it. That's your fat, that's your blood. When you give it for charity, you sacrifice. That's an altar. That you need a charity box in your house. That that are the four things that every Jew has to do. And that's how it becomes, it makes the house a sanctuary for God. A mezuzah and the door. Basically, God doesn't want us to make a sanctuary, to build a sanctuary only in Jerusalem, a temple. When the second temple was destroyed, Rabbi Yochanan Bezakai came out and he said, so, we'll move on. They went to Yavne, and they rebuilt Judaism. And they thought that everywhere you can teach Judaism. That everywhere you can build a synagogue for God. That every home is a place of God. It's up to us. We will let them in. That's what Hashem says here. Make me a sanctuary, and I will dwell among you, among them, among all of us, not just in the temple. And that's the real challenge. Go ahead, you should make a tabernacle, the tabernacle. You should make the tabernacle and the design of all its vessels according to all that I show you. You should make the tabernacle the way I show you. And here, then God says, Moses, God tells Moses, build me a temple. Okay, you want to continue? The ark. The ark. They should make an ark. Hey, I, I have already a question. The ark. If I would come, I come to an architect. I said I want to. I ask him to build me a temple, build me a building. Do I start to talk about the furniture? What do I think to talk about? You go global. You know, talk about the whole structure. I'll outside. talk about the property. Then I'll talk to him. How many square feet I want the building should be? It was all about the art. <laughs> then there is all. There how many rooms I want. If you talk to him about the furniture, it looks at you like you fell off the roof. But everybody comes to the to, to a builder, especially his wife will tell him, make sure I want the sunroom. Mm-hmm. The jacuzzi. What jacuzzi? We are not even building a building. Yeah, 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 yeah. But everyone has in his mind something that this is the focal point of his house. I remember talking to the builder, we build out, make sure that we build a sukkah, permanent sukkah. Tell me what sukkah we're talking about. <laughs> but in my mind, I already did the sukkah. Everyone has a goal of his house. Isn't that the difference between Moshe and Bezel? Because uh, they have different... You're right, you're right. Then here, God tells Moses, what I want you to build, the ark. The ark is the goal of the temple. You know why the ark is the goal of the temple? What was on top of the ark? Cherubs. Where God spoke to, the, to Moses? Between from where? Them, between, between, between the, the cherubs. The whole purpose of the sanctuary in the desert... It should be a meeting place between God and Moses to tell, talk to the Jewish people. That the goal was the ark. He says, I want you to build the ark. And on top of the ark, the two cherubs. And from there, I'll speak to you. That the, 
There, that was the main, main goal. Later, the temple had other goals, the other temples, but the, the sanctuary in the desert, that was the purpose. Then God, then Moses speaks, speaks to him right about the ark. God speaks to him right about the ark. And the ark was the Ten Commandments, the, the Torah, and ultimately, the Torah is the message. Then let's start to read about the ark. Okay. They should make an ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits in its length, a cubit and a half in its width, and a cubit and a half in its height. You should coat it with pure gold, coating it inside and out, and you should make upon it a gold-rimmed edge all around. You should cast four gold rings for it, and you should place them upon the, its four corners, two rings on the first side and two rings on the other side. Mm -hmm. So I have a question about the rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the ark. The ark's in the um, tabernacle, or the sanctuary, right? That's the portable. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So why is it? Why does the ark need to have these uh, poles? To be carried. To carry. Yeah. To why, carry. Is it, why, can it, why is it already in the uh, structure itself? <coughs> because they moved. The, they moved many times in the desert. Look at look so at the they carry the, were they carry the sanctuary poles too? The whole they would break it down, right? Yeah, take it apart. But you still have to be able to carry. They put the poles through the rings. Look at the next page. Is that what they would carry was so heavy that the guy would help him carry the ark because mm -hmm. it's very heavy? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. the other stuff, how do they transport look the, it? Look at the next also, page. Also, also. picture. It's, they also had rings. Also had, uh, oh, yeah, okay. On page 185, let's read one more line, then we will explain it. Okay. You should make poles, poles of acacia wood and you should coat them with gold. Mm -hmm. You should bring the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to carry the ark with them. The poles of the ark should remain in the rings. They must never be removed from it. Oh! Then God tells them to build an ark, as you see in the picture, gold from outside, gold from inside, wood in the middle. And there should be two golden sticks from both sides, a wooden stick covered with gold. And they should never be removed. That's a strange law. Usually, all the other places, you put the sticks in when you carry them. When you don't carry, you pull out the sticks and you're done. Here, you have to always be left with the, with the sticks in. Why? With the poles. To teach us a lesson. A very, 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 very important lesson. Be ready lesson. to bring it always with us. The, the Torah, we pick it up and we go. Doesn't make a difference where we go. We can take the ark anywhere to Yavne from Jerusalem, to the northern side of Israel, to Babylon, to Las Vegas, to Solonayo, everywhere. You take the ark and you run. You take your Torah and you go. And the Torah is not dependent on a certain place. It's not tied, it's not chained to a certain location. Wherever you are, you can do Mount Sinai. Why God, you think, chose to give the Torah in the middle of the desert? One of the lessons was to remind, to teach us that the Torah can be learned everywhere. There is a story in the Talmud about a famous rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer, that he was, he was, he was, he had a yeshiva in Lud, and in his yeshiva, the style was, he used to sit on a big stone, that was his chair, and everybody sat on the floor. Once, another rabbi, I think it was Rabbi Yeshua, came in to, the, to, the, to his yeshiva, he kissed the stone, and he said, this stone is Mount Sinai, and the person who sits on it is the Ark of the Covenant. He has the, two, he has the two tablets. What he wanted to say, we have a Jewish people learn Torah, it's Mount Sinai. In Solon Raya, Mount Sinai is an upper road. <laughs> and that's how it's being measured. People live closer to Mount Sinai or further from Mount Sinai. I tell all these people, you should move closer to Mount Sinai. <laughs> And really, every home could be Mount Sinai if you learn Torah. Very good for business. It's very good for business. <laughs> Couple of us left on our street. Then, <laughs> then, then here, here, that's that's a message of the ark. The ark could be carried. Now, how? What was the sto the the two tablets made of? Sapphire. Sapphire stone. It was, I think, this size. Uh, what's the size of the of the of the ark? Two and a half cubits, right? Two stones in this size is very heavy. This is made with wood and gold. How strong is gold? Not very soft. 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 How could such a box carry such heavy stones? Impossible. Impossibly two of them. Two the sets of them. 
Because it could even be two sets of stones. That's another. That's for the. That's oh, for the, uh, for the educated one. But it will not get too complicated. And then the Talmud says an amazing line: Aaron nose et nosav. The ark carries his carriers. The first time to pick this up was out. But later they were like flooding because the people who carried the ark couldn't carry the ark with the back to the ark. They had to face the ark. They had to go backwards, basically. How could you go backwards and fast? And then the Torah says, the Talmud says, they were carrying, the ark carried them. They didn't carry the ark. What's the lesson? The lesson is in life. We think we carry the Torah. The Torah carries us. People say, oh, this mitzvah to do will be impossible. You know what? The first picking up is very hard. Later, you don't know. You cannot see yourself without it. That carries you. Anybody starts to come to sin again on Shabbat, say, oh, impossible. I will stop, close my gym, my business. It's impossible. He starts to do it. The beginning is very hard. He starts to do it. He sees the Shabbos carries him. The mitzvah carries him. He's much more excited. He cannot see himself how he didn't do it. That's what the lesson from the ark is. The ark carries his carriers. And that's why you're never allowed to remove the, the sticks, the, the, the poles from the, from the ark, because you won't be able to, to, always ready to go. The Jews are always ready to go. They are not afraid of being exiled. They'll go somewhere else with the Torah, they'll replant, they'll restart all over again, and they build Judaism wherever they are. Do we know where it is now? The ark? According to Maimonides, the ark is in the tunnels underneath the wall, the, the, the Temple Mount. And that's why the Temple Mountain is still an attracting, still draws people to visit. Usually in Metzada, you go once, you don't want to go again. You have to be Meshuggah to go again. No. <laughs> After two times, the most. Any other uh, archaeological site, you go once. You see the, in Egypt, you see the pyramids? Fine, I was there, I saw it enough. For some reason, the Western Wall, people go once and again and again and again and again. Obviously, it's not an, it's not an archaeological place. It's a holy place that those people there, like a magnet. What's the holiness? It's not because once upon a time, the temple was there. It's because now the ark is there. The ark is still there. And people are drawn to the ark constantly again. And, and the numbers of the people visiting the Western Wall are growing every year. Not only the door gets smaller, people say, oh, the world is becoming more secular, more this. Nonsense. More and more people come to visit the wall every year. So many goem goes there. Absolutely. Because the ark is right there. Okay. Are we on the... Yeah, number 16, I think. You shall place into the ark the testimony, i.e. the Torah, which I will give you. Yeah. You should make a lid for the ark of pure gold, two and a half cubits in its length and a cubit and a half in its width. You should make the two golden cherubs, each with the face of a child. Make them from the same piece of metal. Cherubs! Am I saying cherubs? What are the cherubs? Faces of, of babies. Looks like idol worshiping. Yeah. Everything that God says is not allowed, in certain situations, it's allowed. That in the world of good or bad, there is always the same thing could be not allowed in one way and allowed in a different way, in a different form. And this is one of the examples. Cherubs, for the sake of God, yes. Idols in your house, no. Cherubs, yes. Also, faces made out of gold, like all the other idols used to be in that time. But it's in the top of the ark, and, and, and it's the way God did it, then God speaks from them. God, if you want, God elevated it. God made an option that this is also kosher in the temple. And they were faces of two babies. And the Talmud says, when God loved the Jewish people, the two faces used to look at each other and hug each other. And when the Jewish people, when God was upset with the Jewish people, it was like a couple. Two, they, they, they sleep and the other, everyone looks on the other side of the bed. And they don't look at each other. Then, and where came out the voice of God? Not from between the two tablets. Between the two faces. 
The two faces hugging each other represents also how Jewish people get along. They love each other. There is the Torah. In top of the Torah, there is love your fellow man. And from there comes out the voice of God. Not from the Torah. Not from inside the ark. From above the ark. There is a ark and there is faces of two people supposed to hug each other. We're supposed to get along. And from there comes out, comes out the voice of God. Then where we can get God, there is love. When there is getting along. When there is caring for each other. There is the place for God. Then it could be a place full of Torah, but if there is hating each other, if they are fighting, it's like the disciples of Rabbi Akiva. God was not there. God, God plays, there is everything is a order, everything is a system. God, it's a matter of priorities. In top of the Torah, two faces hugging each other. In top of the Torah, the more important thing is to be united, is to be friendly to other people. And only when we are friendly, God speaks to us. When they were exiled, the Jews, was it, were they still hugging each other? They, the, in places that they hug, or the, the, in place, you're talking about the cherubs? Yeah. It's written when the Jewish people, when, when Nebuchadnezzar, when the Babylonian king came to destroy the temple, he found the, the, he found the cherubs hugging each other. He saw the ark? That's written that they entered the Holy of Holies, the oh, enemies, oh. and they uncovered the cherubs, oh. and they saw how they're hugging each other. And he said, what's going on? That's what you put in your Holy of Holies, you're embarrassed. But the Talmud right away jumps and asks the question, hugging each other? Obviously God loves the Jewish people. If he loves the Jewish people, why there is a destruction? What's going on here? And why didn't he die? Who? The guy? By the way, it's not Nebuchadnezzar, it's one of his oh. general, oh. but it's interesting. When God wants the worst, if God, God, God basically removed himself from the place and he let the enemies to go into his own place and nothing happened to them. And they did the worst thing there, the terrible things they did there. Not moral things and still they didn't die. It's only the, the Jew doesn't listen to God, then he, then he gets it. But when God wants the enemies to take over, he lets them take over. But the question is, why? if God, what's going on here? If God destroys the temple, why they were hugging each other? Is if they're hugging each other, why God destroys the temple? One had to go. It, it's one or the other. The, the answer is like this. The Jewish people didn't live up to the time of the temple. They didn't observe the mitzvahs of the temple. Then God was upset with them. Then the question is, who should be punished? The temple or the Jews? Then out of love, Destroying the temple was an act of love of God. He said, let's take away the temple that you will not have the reason to, to be punished for it. You know, the Jews had too many mitzvahs. God wanted to make it easier on them. How can God make it easier on them? You're not allowed to change one mitzvah. You cannot come and say, even God cannot come and say, tomorrow we don't have to put on film. Tomorrow we don't have to observe Shabbat. Tomorrow we don't have to keep kosher. Then what, how is he doing it? He removes the situation. We had so many mitzvahs who are dependent on the temple, the sacrifices, the mitzvahs that are dependent in the land of Israel, like the, the, the jubilee and the sabbatical and so many more things. Then he cannot say, oh, from now on you don't have, you're not obligated to do the mitzvahs. But what he could do is to remove the situation. Somebody who does not have an end, God forbid, cannot put on the film on his end. He's obligated, but he doesn't have the, the ability. Somebody who doesn't have money cannot give charity. He's obligated, but if you are living in a tent, you don't have to put up a mezuzah. Then you, the mitzvah cannot be changed, but the situation can be changed. Then God, out of love for the Jewish people, he saw like the, the, the clock is ticking, every minute they do the wrong thing, it's more and more and more. He says, we'll remove the situation, no temple, they'll be outside of Israel, they'll have much less mitzvahs. They will be much better off. Then he couldn't change the mitzvahs. The Torah is unchangeable. can never be changed. But he can change the situation. And that's what God did. And that's the, that's the story. That's why the cherubs hugged each other was a sign that God loves the Jewish people. Still loves the Jews. It's just, yeah. In a different way. In a tough way. Tough loving. Tough love. That's what it's called. Let's continue. We are in the middle of the cherubs. Uh. Somewhere. 
Yeah. The cherubs should have their wings spread upwards, sheltering the lid with their wings, their faces towards one another. The faces of the cherubs should be turned towards the lid. You should place the lid on the ark from above. Mm -hmm. You should place the testimony, the Torah, uh, which I give you into the ark. I will arrange my meetings with you there. I will speak with you from above the lid between the two cherubs that are upon the ark of the testimony. I will speak to you between the two cherubs in top of the ark of the testimony. Where is the connection? You're looking for the phone. Where is the phone between you, between man and God, between the two faces, between the two cherubs? There is love, there is God in between. You know, husband and wife in Hebrew, the name of uh, a man in Hebrew is Ish. The name of a woman in Hebrew is Isha. If you take out the, from the word Ish, the Yud, it's Ish, fire. The first two letters in the word of Isha is Ish, fire again. The Yud from the Ish and the He from the Isha is the name of God. When there is love, there is God in between. When there, then God can speak to us. When there is no love, it's fire. When there is no God, it's fire. And the same thing, the cherubs were, I think, I think it were faces of a boy and a girl. And uh, where is it? Mm. Yeah, it's written somewhere. It was, it was faces, faces of a boy and a girl. Two babies, a boy and a girl. And, uh, and, and, that's, and, that, and that's where God is speaking. Then unity, marriage, that's why marriages are so important by the Jewish people. Because it's, because it's there, there God speaks. <coughs> Go ahead. And what I speak to you, there is all that I will command you to tell the children of Israel. Beautiful. Now we get straight to the table. From the ark to the table. From the table to the menorah. Go ahead. The table. You should make a table of acacia wood, two cubits in length, one cubit in, in its width, and a cubit and a half in its height. You should coat it with pure gold, and you should make, it, make for it a golden-rimmed edge all around. You should make for, make for it a frame one handbreadth in width all around. You should make a golden-rimmed edge for its frame all around. You should make for it the table four golden rings, and you should place the rings on the four corners of its four legs. The ring should be attached to the legs, adjacent to the frame, as holders <coughs> for the poles with which to carry the table. See, by the table, they also made poles. Because they also have to carry this, as you see in the picture. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Were you allowed to take the, the, these poles out? Yeah, you're allowed, right? Only by the, only by the arc, it's written, you never remove them. In the other places, it's not written. You should make the poles of acacia wood, and you should coat them with gold. The table should be carried with them. You should make its, the table's breath, bread molds, its spoons, its separating bars, which will cover the breads and allow ventilation and it, it's supporting bars. You should make from them pure gold. You should place on the table multi-surface bread before me at all times. Okay, here is what lechem apanim. They used to put on the table special bread, like matzah. It was not chometz bread. In the temple, they only brought matzah. There was ne almost never was chometz in the temple. It was Pesachdik in the temple throughout the year. Except for Shavuos. Yeah. And in this bread, and this bread used to be put, in, put up on Shabbos, and by the next Shabbos, they used to take this off and remove it with new breads, with fresh bread. And the old bread was still fresh after a whole week was a miracle. And the coins used to get a all the coins of that, of that week used to get a portion from this, from this bread. And the Talmud says that they, they used to grab it, used to be a fight it in the coins, who will get a bigger piece. And the Talmud says it was real life. The people who are more aggressive got a bigger piece. And the people who are nicer got a smaller piece, or sometimes got nothing. So how miraculous was it to have fresh matzah? I mean, I, you can have matzah in a box for a year. Probably two years. It was, they say, I think it says it was warm, even. Obviously, it wasn't, and if it's not chomet, it doesn't mean it was literally like matzah. Matzah can be, can be much more... 
bread-like and still not be considered hummus. Matzah is like to go to the extreme, but it doesn't have to be so dry and so hard. It could be more like cracker-like. Even, well, even more bread-like. like a pita, even. Oh, okay. Even a pita could be done if it's, if, if it's a, you know, the matzahs that they, when they bake now is not 18 minutes uh, uh, waiting. and if, uh, it, could, it could be much longer. The, the, what's done now, it's like by three minutes, by four minutes, not by 18 minutes. Then the, the matzah, it's called matzah shirah. There is matzah where you made with, uh, not just with water, it could be made even with uh, juice, okay. and that has a much better taste, and so on and on. That doesn't have to be so dry. That, that, that's a miracle still. When it's, and I think it was a secret how to, how to bake the, the, the showbread, and only one family in the temple knew it, and they never gave it out to anybody else. But the table in the temple was to pray for the financial well-being of all the Jews. They should have what to eat. The, temp, the, the table, God doesn't eat bread. It's to make the bread, to remind God, to make sure that in every Jewish home there is bread on the table. That's what the, the purpose of the table was. And now we come to the menorah, the highlight of the temple, if you want, to a point. You should make a menorah of pure gold. The menorah should be made hammered from a single piece of metal. Its base and its stem, its ornamental cups, spheres, and flowers should all come from the same piece of metal and not be made separately. It's a very hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. They have to take one piece of metal and etch out a whole menorah from one piece. Why? There is a Torah of Be'alotcha. That's not in this Chomesh. That the prophet, which prophet it was, I don't remember. Um, that was the high priest Yoshua Kohen Agadol. God showed them a menorah, and the menorah represents the Jewish people, seven branches. But the seven branches are coming from one piece. They are not attached pieces. Not a bunch of separate, separate identities who came together. It's one piece who spreads out to seven branches. There is seven ways to serve God. Some people serve God with love. Some people serve God with fear. Some people serve God with mercy. Some people serve God with humbleness. Everyone on his own. But they're all to the same goal, to the same purpose. To The candles were lighting towards the middle candle, towards God, basically. Then it could be seven different branches, but they're all coming out from one piece of gold. And that's what the menorah represents. And it was a very hard thing, as the Rashi says, that Moses didn't know how to make the menorah. He says, how are we going to do this? And according to the, to the, to the Talmud, God, Moses took a piece of gold, threw it into the fire, and it came out a menorah by itself. Happened by itself. I heard that also those seven branches are like the, like you said, the, the seven attributes of Midot. You know, mm-hmm. And that just as God is one, just because there are six or seven of, seven of them, it's... It's still one. Absolutely. It's still one. It's it's one, absolutely. It's a good point. And the same thing the Jewish... And that's the same thing the Jewish people is a reflection of God. God Mm -hmm. is one and spreads to seven branches. And the people are one and spread to seven branches. It's like seven Lubavitch's rabbis. That's true too. (laughs) That's also the menorah. That's the ultimate menorah. (laughs) Very good. Go ahead. Six branches should be coming out of its side diagonally. Three menorah branches from Oh, one. branches diagonally. You see, diagonally is in, is in parentheses. But it says branches. If you turn the page, you'll see what we're talking about. Seven branches. The branches of the menorah in this picture is diagonal branches. Not like anybody's other menorah or a half a circle. Here we have a picture of what Maimonides made his drawing. You see the black picture? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was found, 800 years later, was found his, that his end drawing. And he made it also diagonal, the branches. When you say a branch, a branch means a diagonal. A branch is not a half a circle. A branch is a straight piece of, piece of uh, that sticks out. It's not, it doesn't go half a circle. Then the menorah in the temple was branches. I mean, diagonal branches, not like anybody else. The other type style of menorah is coming from, from a gentle source. It's coming from the Arch of Titus. Anybody who was in Rome, goes for a, for a trip to Rome, for a tour to Rome, will see the Arch of Titus. And then there is depicted on the Arch of Titus, uh, they uh, made engraved how Jewish slaves are carrying a menorah. 
And this menorah is made a half a circle. Why they made it a half a circle, we don't know. Maybe the Jews, before the destruction of the temple, replaced the real menorah with another menorah. They destroyed the war of, of the temple of Jerusalem was a few years. They had time to replace ten menorahs, not one. And, uh, the se- and, and the, that's uh, one explanation. The second explanation could be that the guy in, Ro- in Rome wanted to make it look nicer because there is other things that don't look like the menorah. The, the base of the menorah that we see here and the base with well, an arch of Titus is different. In any case, we, don't, we go by tradition. And tradition, Rashi and Maimonides, both of them said that they have a tradition. That the way they, they learned that we learned from their teachers, that the menorah was diagonal. The branches were diagonal. And that's how we, we, go, we believe the menorah was. And to us Jewish people, to anybody, tradition is much more powerful than an archaeological finding that we don't know who wrote and why they did it and what was the reason for it. I bring every time the example, what's the best proof that the Holocaust took place? Survivors. Remember it. <laughs> the survivors. Mm-hmm. We have videos. We have pictures. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We have Bergen Bells. We have uh, Auschwitz now. Yeah. <coughs> we have everything, right? We can say everything was made it. But when thousands of people come with the same story, that's the most, the strongest proof there is. The same thing is here. Our tradition that all the rabbis taught from there, all the way from the temple, is much more powerful than what we see in the Arch of Titus. And to go, you don't have to go to Rome to see it. You can see it on the internet. You can take the two that I take. One quick question. Yeah. What is this down here at the bottom of the Rashi. page in, this in Hebrew? Yeah, Rashi, the commentary, Rashi. Oh, because some of it, you know, is in Tell English, me. and I've never always wanted. The Hebrew is Rashi. Okay. Thank you.